It's November 21st. In Colombia this morning, the sun rises at 7.02. Had we not moved to daylight saving, that would be late indeed. The sun sets today at 5.18 in the afternoon, clipping the commute's daylight even further. We're almost to the end of the growing season of our region, which some mark when we drop below 10 hours of daylight in 24. Daylight is barely covering a traditional 8 to 5 shift with travel time. And the light is late and long as the sun westers through the red and brown rags of leaves remaining on the trees. Today, we have 10 hours and 16 minutes of light. I'm Claire Houle, a writer and instructional designer at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. Join me as we once again branch out following the roots and filaments of teaching and connection here at the college. What is the place we allow for failure in higher education? How could we better understand and engage with failure in our work with students and in our professional lives? This is Instructional Ecology. Welcome to the second in our series of failure storytelling this season, and it's got some incredible scope to it. I conceptualized this failure story series based on common practice as I knew it. Many people have a single story or two they distill from their life that they tell that allows students' perspective on their own failure or fear of failure. It's usually quite a finite and contained practice. Everyone has decided how much they wish to reveal. Today's storyteller is different. As I've been seeking out people who use their own failures as teaching moments of connection with students, I never know who I'll meet next, which I have to say is pretty great. Today's storyteller not only tells his failure stories as needed, he's published a short autobiography that unflinchingly describes the very difficult first half of his life. I've read it over the course of a weekend, and it was riveting. It's focused, direct, and unflinching in taking his own measure as he considers the first decades of his life. It's the ultimate collection of stories of failure. And yet it's also luminous and energetic, hardly fitting any cliche about how we should hide our failures or be morose about them. Because he pulls the reader relentlessly past each setback and describes how he survived and moved forward to find a new life each time. Amin Shabazz, in our academic and career advising unit, endured a turbulent and violent childhood. The public school system taught him little in the way of reading, writing, and arithmetic, and his failures in school gave way to great success selling illegal drugs. But that success was finite when he was arrested, convicted, and served 13 years in the South Carolina correctional system. After that time, in the hard years of trying to make a fresh start, he found his way to MTC, and those early academic failures began to change thanks to all that he learned in prison. Not just basic literacy, but also the skills of resilience, dignity, and patience. I've read a number of autobiographies in my life, but they were always of people I've never met. To read the autobiography of a person I'm in community with is really special. If you're a part of our college community, you're connected with our guest, so you could have the same experience. 
Maybe after our conversation today, you'll read Hameen's slim book and come to know him better. So instead of a capsule failure story, today we're going to talk about the academic failures of a lifetime. And you'll understand that to hear these stories is never to dwell in failure, but to always return to a deep well of determination and self-reflection and recovery. For our guest today, there's no final failure, only delay. There's no loss that cannot be answered in time with patience and the support of others and the willingness to try again and to try another way. Today, we talk with a failure practitioner, and he tells his stories as he feels is useful to our students in his capacity as an advisor. And he's eager to work with students like him who have served their time in prison or have endured great trauma and privation in their childhoods and seek a new kind of life as adults. We should all be so willing to see our failures in the same light as Hameen does his. This failure story episode is a companion to episode four with Muffy Allison, who indeed was the one who led me to Hameen. Episode four, Looking Beyond the Classroom, is about the dilemma of how to handle academic failures stemming from students' unfulfilled basic needs. Hameen's story definitely falls into this category, as you will hear. I hope you'll enjoy your time with Hameen, who shows us that living publicly and openly with failure can demonstrate strength of character and is a far cry from weakness or shame. Failure is a part of life, so why shouldn't it be part of our public identity? After the interview, I'll have more information about how to keep up with Hameen and his work and how to find his short autobiography. Join me now in the second story of failure for a season. My name is Hameen Shabazz. I'm an academic and career advisor here at Minnesota College. I'm also an adjunct professor for human services. I've served Minnesota College for 12 and a half years. I began as a as a student assessment test administrator. I was a contract worker at that time. Then I, I became a full-time employee as, re, as a retention advocate for developmental studies. And when developmental studies dissolved here at Millis Tech, I became an academic and career advisor. I earned an associate's degree in public service with a specialization in human services um, from Millis Tech College. I mean, I'm so glad that you're here today. And um, I've been so glad that uh, to find that you and I are in community together, because I think that you're such a great voice to have on the podcast this season, because not only have I discovered you're someone who has thought about and engaged with your own failure, with the failures of students, with setbacks, and then what happens when you overcome it? that I think that that is just a great voice to bring into our season right now. So where I'm hoping we can start is um, is, is deep in your past, which I learned about from your autobiography, From Prison Walls to College Halls. And you had quite a difficult start to life. And you talk a lot in your autobiography about life scripts. And in the very beginning of your book, which is called Born to Fail, you say you begin to talk about your life scripts. Could you tell me a little bit about what are life scripts and what did you find you were taught 
quite young that may have told you, you know, you're going to fail. Life scripts are those verbal and non-verbal messages we receive growing up as children. It can come from your parents, it can come from your environment, it can come from your peers around you, things like that. Um, growing up, growing up in poverty, um, my life scripts weren't weren't the most positive, I could say it like that. Um, you know, it was like my role models were were drug dealers and pips and armed robbers and even even people even murderers for hire. Um in my home, my mother was a good person, but she didn't have the tools to to rear me in a positive direction. So so all the verbal and nonverbal messages that I received, they were they were of a negative context. And and I and I attempted to act those things out be, because we can only do what we see. Um, there's an old saying, you can only love the way that you've been taught to love. So 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 I spent my life believing that there was there was no positive success that would come from my life. Um that 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 I had to get get mine, so to speak, any way I could get mine. And that led me down the drug avenue selling drugs at the age of 14 years old. Um and of course, and of course, my autobiography landed me in juvenile justice and prison and those kind of things. I don't think that we like to sometimes pretend we can separate our lives. You know, oh, well, there's this part of our life and there's that. We know that they're all connected. But since our focus um, uh, with the podcast is on education here at the college, just tell us very briefly, were you able to succeed in your early education? Um because I think that that did not go well, in fact, for you. Right. In my early education, nah, I, I was not able to succeed. And one reason is because because of my environment. Um, um, again, my mother didn't have the tools to say, hey, sit down and do your homework. Or, Let me help you with your homework. Um, it wasn't that type of environment. Um, and, and at the age of eight years old, I was diagnosed with what they called back then emotional handicap, now it's called emotional disturbance disorder, and I was diagnosed with a reading disability, um, which I know that that's not the case now. Um, I, I think I was just bad, um, but but during that time, which which is of course eight years old, that's 1978. Um, we didn't have the battery of exams that we have now to to properly diagnose children. So I remember my mother used to tell people, don't be hard on Gregory. My mother used to be Gregory. Um, don't be hard on Gregory. He's feeble-minded. Um, so that so that within itself made me believe that I had some type of uh, intellectual disorder. You know, back in those days, they called it retarded. Um, and, 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 I, and I comported myself as such. So I never... I, I never excelled in um in our academics. Um, matter of fact, I spent three years in the ninth grade before I finally dropped out of school, and that was that was my academic career of elementary, middle school, and high school. I was in special education classes, self-contained. Back then, they did self-contained, and we stayed in one class all day. Um, with with other children with horrible 
behavior problems, not saying they were horrible children, but they had horrible behavior problems like myself. Um, so so I just kind of learned, learned that whole culture of 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 not being able to excel, not ever being able to do anything great with my life. So uh, that's a moment in which we are who we're told we are, uh, right? This sort of little cycle of you do something, you're told what that means, and then you kind of continue with that. Um, and when during your time in prison, um, you did get to another point where you realized that you wanted to get your GED and you were you were determined to do it, but it took you several tries. Um, what were those failures like for you at the time? You wanted it and you failed it twice. Just if you would, we're going to get to your great success after that. But in that moment, what was it like to come up against that barrier? Wow. Um, I came so far and it, and it felt as though I could never go any further. Um, and, 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 and there's many times I just wanted to say, well, I, I just won't get my GED. And when I get out of prison, I just do something, you know, something with my life, you know, whatever I can do to survive. Um, but, but I had, I had in the, believe it or not, there's some very positive, positive people in prison. Um, and, and I met a number of those, the older guys, and they, and they kept telling me, hey, man, keep going. Keep trying until you get it. You know, you'll eventually get it. Just keep going. And they were the positive force in my life that that empowered me to keep trying, to keep taking my GED until I finally passed it and I earned it. And, 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 and that was a game changer. Suddenly the voices changed. Uh, you know, you just said as a youth, the voices said one thing. But in fact, in prison, you had two really important voices in your life. Um, of course, I'm thinking about Cleveland Anderson and Malik Johnny. Mm -hmm. Could you introduce us to them and what they brought to you and your learning? Cleveland Anderson, he's the first one that I met. As a matter of fact, we're still friends today. Um, and Cleveland was another kind of guy. Though he was in prison for a violent crime, he was a former USC student. He made bad choices and ended up in prison. Um, and he had a book. It was called The Blair Reader. And, and it was about African-American figures. And, 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 and he gave me the book to read. And I, and, and I was transparent. I said, man, I can't read. I don't know how to read. He said, well, let's do something about that. And every day... He would help me learn, sound out. I mean, even back to sound out syllables correctly. Um, he would he would do that, and then I and and, and then on, on my journey to learn to read with Cleve, I met Malik Raps and Johnny. And, and Malik Raps and Johnny, he had probably been in prison for I don't know maybe. 13 years before I even got there, but he was very intelligent. Um, he actually earned a master's degree while in prison. Um, and he came out to be very successful because he came out to teach music at the University of South Carolina Greenville campus. Um, but uh, so, 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 so me and him was roommates and we had a lot of problems at first uh, because I was really bitter. I had a lot of hatred built up in me. Um, but but uh, once we became 
really very close friends, and, and I began to understand his religion, which eventually became my religion. Um, but um, you know, and, and and he was like the most intelligent person I had ever met. Everybody respected him for his knowledge and wisdom. And and I told him when I said, Man, I want to be smart like you. And he opened up the Quran and he said, Well, let's learn to read out of this. So I had him and I had Cleve. And when I reached a certain level, Malik Rabson Johnny took me down to the school in the prison and got me involved in our remedial classes, which was which was what I needed at that time. And, and everything just progressed from there. And that's something that you were absolutely okay with doing again, because after you were released and you found your way to MTC, which I definitely want to talk a bit more about, I know that you um, took some developmental courses, um, which are, again, there to strengthen. We, we don't have them anymore, but they're there to strengthen um, uh, folk who need some basic skills in those fundamental uh, courses. And they were really challenging to you, discovered how incomplete your education had been. And yet you persisted. Tell me a little bit about what you had gained that allowed you to keep processing those setbacks and to really keep striving for that goal instead of giving up? I think that I've experienced so many traumatic events in my life. And and I and I and I had to be resilient, as we spoke earlier, being, being resilient, I had to be resilient. Um so when I started school at Midlands Tech and I was in I was in Read 100, English 100, and Math 032. Um I was I was I was pretty well read. However, those small and very important things that you learn in grade school, I didn't have. For instance, I didn't know what a preposition was or a prepositional phrase, or I didn't know when you should use a comma and not a period. And, you know, those kind of things. I I I I think I spent so much time so much time just learn to call off the words, which is what small children normally do, right? You know, we learn to sound out words um, that I didn't, that I never really learned the mechanics of reading and writing. So, so, so I was in those classes and, and it was really difficult, um, especially math. And the reason why is because um, I never really focused a lot on math because I've fell so in love with being able to read. Um, so so math was really difficult. Even 032 math, it was really difficult for me. Um gosh. And, <laughs> and I actually I actually was gonna fail my math class. And 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 Dr. Hames, who, who was my professor at the time in math 032, um, he actually gave me a personal exam and said, look, if you pass this with 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 X core, you know, I will give you enough points to go on to math 100. And that's the only way that I that I didn't fail that class. Um, I laugh right now and tell my wife. When I was in Math 032, I think I did horribly. I failed on every math quiz, 
except weights and measurements. And the only reason why I was good with weights and measurements is because I was a former drug dealer. (laughs) (laughs) You made a strength out of it. (laughs) So a credit, that's a a life skills. Um, So what I I hope that um, uh, our community is hearing is that by the time you got to MTC, you had a practice, you had a habit in place of continuing, of returning, of working over and over again. And I'm thinking now about um, when you were first released from prison and had to rebuild a life completely from scratch. There was there was nowhere to go. Uh, there was no job waiting. There was no home waiting. And you had to work very hard over quite a long period of time as you tried to regain your financial and housing stability. And you worked many low-wage, difficult jobs because they were what came to you and they were what was going to give you money. And I'm thinking about the part in your book where you said uh, it took a lot of humility and reflective practices to keep me on track. In terms of not feeling like a total failure, I had to dig deep into my self-awareness bag to find the strength to keep pushing on. I mean, I would love to hear about about exactly that. Tell me about humility and self-reflection and your self-awareness bag. What what did those mean to you? Actually, they were they were they were the pivotal point to my success. Um when you come home from prison and you come home with nothing. Um, only a fool would not be humble, I believe. Um, um, as you say, I worked, I worked day labor jobs. And back then, which was 19 years ago, um, they paid us $35 a day. We were 12 hours a day, $35 a day, um, really hard work. And I would sleep on a park bench. So I would have to walk two and a half hours downtown because I was on North Main, two and a half hours downtown, work all day and walk two and a half hours back to my park bench or the or the emergency room hospital, depending on whether it's raining or not. Um, and it was really difficult. Um, but I always knew, and and, and I think that um this is where self-reflection comes in, self-awareness. I always knew that if I worked hard enough. And stayed focused that 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 I would one day at least have a roof over my head. I never imagined I would be a college professor, well-educated, an advisor, have a wife, kids, grandkids, and just all those things that a lot of times we take for granted. You know, it's just what happens. I never thought that my idea was I was going to come home from prison. I was going to work really hard. I was going to find me a, a one-bedroom apartment somewhere, buy me a raggedy, reliable car, you know, and I was just going to live the rest of my life happy. So, 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 so by by being able to go one more day, just just keep pushing, just keep my nose to the grindstone. And I'm gonna be honest with you, the day I walked in the Midlands Technical College and put in that application and I would have never done it, but applications was free at that time. Um, <laughs> that was a <laughs> blessing. So that changed my life. 
Well, you know, I know that uh, you're one of the many people who have said to me, you saw a billboard for the college. What did the billboard say? And what did that end up meaning to you? I was coming down Beltline Boulevard. I'll never forget. I was coming down Beltline Boulevard and, and I saw the billboard and it had a guy smiling and it said, you can get anywhere from here. And, and I remember thinking to myself, just, just the things I encountered through my life. And has have I really ever gotten anywhere in life? And this side said, you can get anywhere from here. So I decided I'm gonna go and try that. And as a and when I and when I came and when I did my application, believe it or not, the guy that was smiling on the billboard, he was a student at Middle Tech, and I met him that day. It's incredible. Yeah. And and now you're here. And I'm thinking that. At the same time, though, that wasn't a sure thing. It wasn't certain. It, it, it was a series of choices. And I'm thinking of, of a particular story uh, um, that was very meaningful to you one day when you were, in fact, on your way to the college on a cold and rainy day. And someone offered you an opportunity to turn aside. What, what was that story? And, and you made a, a choice in that moment. Right. If I was ever at a crossroads in my life, as a matter of fact, when you brought that up, it just kind of made me a little emotional. Um, but if I was ever at a crossroads in my life, that was the time. Um, I was working on Fort Jackson washing dishes, um, is what they call a DFA. And I would come out the back gate of 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 um of Fort Jackson, because you come straight down Jackson Boulevard to the college. And and I had a choice to make. It was raining. It was cold. It was December. And it was in the fall semester. I had a choice to make. I, I didn't have a book bag, but I did have a coat. So I took my coat off and wrapped my books up. And I was walking down Jackson Boulevard. And the guy pulled up on me. Um, I'm not going to say his name, but he pulled up on me. And um, and he said, um, hey, saw like him. Could we, could we both were both you Muslims. He said, it's all I can get in. I got in and 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 he asked me where was I going? I said, I'm going to Millis Tech. And he said, he asked me, I work for housekeeping, which nothing wrong with work for housekeeping. The job is a job, everything is honorable. I said, No, I'm a student at Millis Tech. He said, You're a student. He said, What you going to Millis Tech to do? I said, Well, I'm in the human services program. I'm going to become a social worker. And 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 he asked me, he said, do you think these people, his exact words of these people, with all the bull s word that you've done in these streets, do you think they're going to let you become a social worker and walk away from all this smell like a rose? For a split second, that really impacted me. It made me doubt myself. It made me doubt going to college. It made me doubt redemption, just all these things. But I quickly came back and I told him, I said, that's exactly what's going to happen. And he opened up his glove compartment and he had a nine millimeter pistol and a big bag of crack cocaine and said, man, you need to come and sell this with me. And I told him immediately, I said, let me out of the car. And I'm grateful that we was right there at the Dollar General. <laughs> so I didn't have to walk very far. But but he let me out and he told me I was a fool. Um, 
Matter of fact, he called me a name and said I was a fool. And um, and about two weeks later, he was arrested for drug charges. And I, from what I hear, he was released about five months ago. So, of course, that's like 15 years later. So I, when I speak to individuals and I tell them this story, I always ask them. He told me I was a fool, but who was actually the fool at that point in time? Both of you perhaps were at a crossroads. He could have followed you to the college, um, and you could have followed him down quite a different path, but you did not. And how difficult to summarize decades of a life in a few minutes in our time together. But you've described to us so many life scripts that were offered to you that you had to have the help of others to change, but then you got the hang of it. And after many years of things that you call in your own words, humility, self-reflection, self-awareness, persistence, you're in quite a different place. Um, You know, when I see your office, you've, you've got a number of degrees hanging on the wall behind you and you work for the college that you love. I would love for you to do some thinking for us in the season on failure, since we know that oftentimes when we fail, it's so hard to see a future, right? In that moment of failure, you're like, well, everything is over. And yet you have, you've continued on. How is your life now a product of all that has gone before you? What makes your life so joyful and rich when the foundation has had so much pain? And difficulty and setback. I think that that uh, you said it. Um, there's been so much trauma, so much pain, so many rejection, so many rejections. I'm sorry, so many rejections in my life, and 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 I was I was chosen. I was chosen to be that 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 one of redemption. I was chosen to be. I believe that we're all chosen to be something before we're even born. Um, and I believe that I had the experience. Notice I didn't say go through. I had the experience because go through is the victim mentality, and I'm not a victim. Um, I made a lot of bad choices in my own life, so I have to be accountable for those things. However, however, when I look back at the things that I've experienced in my life, now I can help others. To, to not have to experience those things and one and the individuals that have experienced those things, whether at the college or 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 or, or away from the college, um, I can I can share my experiences and help to guide them. So these are the things that make me really happy in life. Um, being able to help others, being of course being able to help myself. Um, we. We talked about Cleveland Anderson earlier helped me learn to read. Um, you know, even even today, me and him, we get together and and uh, we do community things to help other people and things of that nature. Um, so so those are the things that bring me true happiness. Um, like I said, I have grandchildren now, and, and I'm able to guide them, and and when they have issues, um. I'm able to, I'm able to somewhat identify. Though I'm, though I'm an old man, I can somewhat identify. Um, so you know the same thing with my students. I teach human services here at the college, 
And we believe that we don't choose human services. Human services choose us. Um, and they choose because we have stories, because there's been some things in our lives that we want to help other people with. So, so being able to help those students and the students that I advise as well, these are the things that bring me joy in life. Your joy is very apparent um, every time we have a conversation together. It's it's uh, it's unhideable. And I, I want to pick up on something you just said, which is you listen to a lot of stories and you tell a lot of stories. I think it's very special. All of us that were are now on the other side of the desk, we were once students, right? And now we are here to help students. And you both teach and you're also an advisor. And to me, what a big part of both of those jobs is listening to stories, right, is, is hearing them. And I'm wondering from your perspective and something you can uh, share with our community is what are some life scripts that you find that you hear a good bit with our student body that you feel are important for us to understand as those who serve them? Um, how do you think we could, given those life scripts you often hear, once we understand these are common, what are some ways that we could work to help ameliorate that as others helped you? Hmm. That's a really difficult answer. The reason why is because everybody is unique and, and a student may come in and they may share some things about themselves, um, but according to their personality, where they're at, what kind of support system they may have, the the framework changes um, in terms of our conversation because because we know theories and models stay the same. The only thing that really changed is the framework according to the individual. Um, so that so that's a really difficult answer because because when I speak to students and they they may have somewhat of the same issue. Um, for instance, one one huge thing with students is that. I'm not achieving what I want to achieve right now because I have children. Um, you know, I have a significant other who's not supportive or cooperative or whatever the case may be. You know, I may have a sick parent. Um, I got two jobs and trying to go to school. You know, these kind of things are very difficult. So, so according to each student's dynamic in terms of, you know, what kind of support system do you have? Um, you know, do you have any time for tutoring? Or do you, you know, or or would you be interested in would you be interested in some type of support group that may that may help? Because we do have student organizations here. Um, you know, are you are you involved in a learning community? You know, with other students. You know, and do you even have time for that? Or are or or are you social enough to even sit in those kind? You know, so so it's really difficult to to just pinpoint a particular uh, a particular guidance that I would give a student, but 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 it all depends on the student and where they're at. Meeting students where they are. Yes, oh, we often say that. Well, on the other side of that, so there's the listening to stories and responding to them, but also you have one of the most consistent and straightforward storytelling practices of failure I've I've encountered. Uh, I mean, you even wrote a book on it, which uh, I think 
is very unusual in our culture. Again, because one of the things that we discovered at the outset of the season is mm, people don't talk about their failures. You're not supposed to talk about it. You should present yourself as someone who is, you know, um, flawless and therefore trustworthy as an educator. But in fact, you can do it a different way. You can do it by saying, I'm not in fact flawless. And that is what does make me strong. So I'd like to know, um, as you tell your stories, when you feel it would help a student, um, what do you find hearing those stories from your life brings to a student? What kind, is it encouragement? Is it strength? Is it, tell me what you find they receive from those tales. I think it's all of the above. Um, the first book that I wrote, I was hired by the college to write it. It was called A Life Changed by Education, and it was for reading 032 and English 032 students. Um, and and one and 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 one thing was <laughs> one thing students always ask is, is this a fiction book or whatever the case may be? But 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 so many students um they found encouragement and they would come to me and say, hey, my brother, my father, my uncle, or whatever, they did time in prison. And, you know, you know, you worked your way through this. And, you know, I have an IEP. And, you know, they would share those things with me. Um, and and they would want that guidance um, on, on, on how to be resilient enough to push forward, how to how to keep going. Even even when times get rough, when times get hard, and and I'm not the person to say if I can do it, you can too, because I know people are different. But I do know that everyone can do it. Um, everyone can achieve their goals, even if we sometimes scale, even if we sometimes make a different move. For for example, I had a student a few weeks back. She was she was in a nursing program and she and 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 she was having difficulty with biology courses and and she couldn't take another biology course. Um so so I, I said, well, hey, that's all right. All isn't lost. Maybe we can do this. Maybe, maybe you may want to come a certified medical assistant, you're still helping people. And get a human services degree where you're still helping people, you know. And um, then eventually, if you want to go back to nursing school, then work your way into that. So, 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 so that student did get into the human service program, and they decided not to do the CNA. But that's all right, you know, because because she's realized that she's just happy with helping others. So, so that program doesn't require as many biologies, it only requires one. So therefore she can work her way through it and, and she can be successful and do what she loved doing. Um, so so a lot of students, um, that's my 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 life, my story is an encouragement for them, is an inspiration for them to keep going. Um I remember about, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. Well, it went for maybe three, two, three years, well, three years ago because COVID hit shortly thereafter. Um, a, a, a student came to my office and brought his mother, father, and sister. And they <laughs> and they read my book together and they discussed my book together. And 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 they did it because 
the the sister, the little sister, she was having some difficulties in life. So they so they used my book as a intervention. So I'm just grateful for those things. I'm I'm, I'm how should I say it? I'm not pleased with the life that I led previously, but I am grateful that I'm able to use that to help others, to encourage them to keep going, to keep moving one more day, to encourage them to say, hey, you can achieve your goals. You just have to find the right framework to achieve those goals. I think you've put your finger on a really, really important part of this season's conversations. The whole season is called Facing Failure. We have to face failure before we can do anything whatsoever with it. And many of us would really rather avoid it, right? You know, to to never think about it again. But of course, if you don't do that, then there can be no self-reflection and no change. You'll simply continue to do it over and over again. So from your, and you have, um, again, but you have been willing to make parts of your story quite public. Um, and um, as you know, we're not having any students on this season to talk about their failure because I feel that that is is not yet time for it. But you have had many years to turn this over. So I would ask you from your perspective, what what is the relationship between failure and the life that follows it? And you might answer from your own perspective, because what we want to do is generalize that to what we can bring to help our students understand. Failure is not something you don't have to like it and you don't have to think it's great. But once you look at it directly and engage with it, something is possible that wasn't otherwise. So what do you think? What is that relationship? We have, I believe that we have to fail at some things in order to really be successful at some things. Um, for for example, you know, um, I as you know, I failed at many things in my life, but I was able to reflect on those things, decipher what did I do wrong, how could I how could I fine tune some things, and move forward to become more successful. I I really don't use the word failure. Um, I like to call it a delay. Um, and not a denial. Failure just sounds so much like a denial, like it's over, mm-hmm. like it can't happen again. But that's not the case. Um, we always have a chance to make good, to do better. Um, my students, um, I always give them an opportunity to to do makeup work because they may not do as well on the paper, on the quiz, you know, or whatever. Um, as a matter of fact, I give my students on D2L, I give them three chances to take a quiz because you may not do as well as you wanted to do the first time. And, and also when we look at failure, it's all perception. You know, I know I know students that make a B in my class and they're like, oh, I had to make an A, you know, that kind of thing. I can't believe I, I can't believe I failed at this. And, you know, and then you got other students that when they make a C, they, 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 they whistling Dixie, um, you know, C's get degrees, you know, that kind of thing. So, so it's also perception, but, but, but I believe that, that what we call failure is only a delay unless you deny yourself and say it's over. 
I mean, what gives you the strength to be able to look directly at uh, the parts of your life that other people or even yourself might call failure? Because that is, I think, many people would love to know how they could endure looking directly at such painful things. What insight might you give to people about how you have learned over time to be able to look directly at those hard things? Oh, um, it's not easy, first and foremost. Um, when you look back at things that's, that that you have done and things that have happened to you, um, because some things that go in our lives, we had no choice in the matter. Um, especially as being children. Um, so when you look at those things and you've and and it's and it's hard, it's really hard because because normally when things happen to you, is there's a loved one involved, or someone who you trusted involved. Um, and things that you've experienced are choices that you made and you look back at it and say, I can't believe I made those choices, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really difficult and it can be painful. As a matter of fact, I go as far as to say that it's going to always be painful to look back at those things. But but I think within the pain, there's a healing. If that makes sense, within the pain, there's a healing. and 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 we can... And again, we can reflect on those things and see where we went wrong or where things went wrong in in our lives. And, and that's the only way that we can change our lives. Let me ask you a question um, that I always like to ask, and you can answer this as a professor, as an advisor, uh, as a community member. What would help? What would help our students negotiate those failures, those academic failures, uh, in from your perspective, face it, face it head on. Look right at it as you just said. Face it head on and say, "Okay, I didn't do as much. I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. Okay, what what can I do? What can I do? Let me set some goals and 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 my students as that I teach and students that I advise." I always suggest smart goals, and I go through those things with them. You know, set those goals. Okay, this is this is what happened. We can't do anything about what happened, right? But what we can do is we can we can create a plan as to where this undesired result would not happen again. Um, so 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 that's that's where I go with my students as an advisor and as a professor. You know, okay, where do we go from here? You know, I, I have students that I have that I that I have to give a, a grade that they don't want um every semester. Um and I always and I always take extra time to to call them and say, Hey, can you meet me on Zoom or can you come to my office so that we can discuss these things? Um and 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 I and I let them know, you know, exactly why. They're getting the grade that they're getting, and 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 what they could have done better, and 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 let's create some goals for next semester because chances are you'll be in my class again, you know, because you've done some of the work. So therefore, you want to get me again. That way, you don't have to do, you know, recreate the wheel. Um. So, so, so that's one really big thing. Um. 
students have got to face it head, head first um, and say, okay, I didn't do as well as I would like to do. Why is that? And then, you know, one thing that one thing that psychologists do agree with fraud on is you have to label something before you can treat it. It's the same thing. It's the same thing in the collegiate environment. We have to know why these things are happening so that we can do better. I mean, you have such um I see you attending to all spheres of time. Your past is ever with you. And yet you're always very, very present when I speak to you. And also, you are a person of vision. You're forever thinking about the future. Not everyone can do all three spheres at once, right? So let me ask you about the future. What do you hope for? You are in the middle of your career at MTC. You're you're not you're not winding up, right? You're you're in it. So from this moment in time, what are you hoping? What's next? I don't know. Um, to be honest with you, um, I hadn't looked that far into the future as to what's next. Um, I'm sure there's going to be many things that happen next, and, and it'll, it'll be whatever my own hand brings forward. Um, um, I don't know. Um, I do... I am in the process of writing another book. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the process of writing another book. Well, that's um, good news. Yeah. Um, um, my nonprofit organization is going very well, and we're trying to get to another level. We're trying to create a family resource center for the disenfranchised, marginalized populations here in Columbia. Um, so I don't know. Um, but here at Midlands Tech, um, I just want to continue to grow. Um, I just want to continue to help my students and and just be the best version of me and be that reflection to them, if that makes sense. To do the work as it comes to you. Right. And, and to do what they need. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, do you have any other thoughts uh, about failure, um, about delays, setbacks, about reflection, anything else you'd like to share with your community? Well, I would just say that 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 that's exactly what it is if we don't even even in even in life, away from the collegiate environment, even in life, um things are gonna happen. We're always gonna get we're always gonna get a curveball. Um and and we and we have to have the emotional intelligence, the self mastery, to be able to work through that. Um, and and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and there's nothing wrong with asking others for help. Um, as as we indicated earlier, you know, even learn to read others. I had to I had to allow others to help me. Um, even 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 here at the college, I don't know everything. Others help me. Um, um, there's no, there's no manual to be a father and a grandfather. I have a, I have a group of, <laughs> I have a group of men who I talk to and we discuss issues and situations. Um, so there's nothing wrong with our reaching out to others who can help you. I have a philosophy when you're driving drunk past the keys and drunk doesn't have to be a, a physical adult beverage, um, it just could be, I'm not thinking correctly right now. There has to be something that I'm missing. 
So I need to reach out to someone who may know better that can that can help me to navigate. So that's what I would suggest. You end us on a, a great note about the importance of being in community. Um, that you, for each challenge you choose, who, which who do I need to reach out to? Is it is it a parenting challenge, which are endless? Is it a professional concern? Who who should I speak to? Um, and I think that's that's a great place to wrap up. And I'm I'm so glad to know you. And I thank you so much for your time and your willingness to to share your story in a new way. Not a problem, and I'll thank you so much for allowing me to share. Amin tells his story more fully in his book, From Prison Walls to College Halls, Achieving Success in the Face of Adversity, The Power of I Am. You can order the book through the link on the episode webpage that I put in the show notes. Let me pull out a short excerpt from the book that I referred to in our interview because I feel it's important for thinking about how we could help our students reconceptualize response to enduring failure. In the passage, Hameen is three years out of prison and has slowly rebuilt a life, but it's a life of thin security and without meaningful, fulfilling work for which he longs. He writes on page 41, quote, I always felt as though I wasn't reaching my full potential working in the soldier's kitchen. The job wasn't intrinsically bad, but my ideas about where I should be in life made it horrible. The importance of my duties to feed our service members did not resonate, and I believed I was entitled to a higher position because a lot of the knowledge of food service I had learned while in prison. It took a lot of humility and reflective practice to keep me on track in terms of not feeling like a total failure. I had to dig deep into my self-awareness bag to find the strength to keep pushing, keep on grinding, and keep on keeping on, end quote. This is the discipline of the failure practitioner, described in clear and vivid terms. When he begins to feel like a failure, he resists that pull to dissolve. When he feels disappointed in his work and his hopes for a better life with meaningful work, he uses self-reflection and humility to focus on the journey and each step as he works toward his goals. He doesn't try to fast forward. He lives each day as it comes to him. As he said in our conversation, this is hard, but it can be done. Sometimes it must be done to reach the goals. Maybe some of you have been nodding along thinking, yes, I too have had to dig deep into my self-awareness bag to attend to my emotion, keep myself disciplined and on track. Could we teach this patient, humbling practice to students? How might we do that as a college? Because let me tell you how that same page in the book ends, quote, For another year, I walk to work and home every day. I can remember days being so tired and walking that two-hour trip home and crying out to God, asking when it would be over. After four years of freedom from the prison, while riding down the street, there was a billboard that would change everything. End quote. You know what that billboard said. It had a young African-American man smiling on it, and it said, you can get anywhere from here. 
on page 23, he continues, quote, I fell into a deep reflection of my life's journey. I reflected on growing up in a home that lacked a living wage, selling drugs, prison life, homelessness, and the job I had. I realized that none of those mentioned were conducive to achieving my potential. In other words, my current life had not gotten me very far. I had to realize the only things that had gotten me where I was was my focus and sense of discipline. Therefore, I would try Midlands Technical College. I knew that it would be my last Hail Mary to achieve success in the face of adversity, end quote. And he did. And he did it. He's where he wants to be. With us. And his journey continues. Friends, you can go to the webpage for the episode, and in addition to a link to find Hameen's book, you can also find a link to his nonprofit, Project NAS for Not a Statistic, that's a non faith based organization to serve at risk youth, system impacted people and families, and underserved communities. Another way to learn about an MTC instructional community member. Join us next time when we continue to examine practices around failure as they are and as they could be. We'll be talking with Tanisha Kroom, who's a full-time advisor and also an adjunct professor of psychology. We'll talk about the delicate art of talking through failure with a student both in advising and in teaching. Join us next time, deeper into the darkness of fall and further into the web of our community.